Welcome to our community. We hope you enjoy this message from our special guest. So good to be here and to worship with you today. And it's been actually good to uh, be with your pastor and his dear wife. I, I remember a few years ago we were on a, a we had meetings over in Thailand, and we ended up landing at the Bangkok airport about the same time. And so we ended up in the same van going to the meeting hotel. And so when we were talking, I thought, I know you. And I put it together. I actually knew your pastor more than 30 years ago. Uh, when we were in seminary. He was finishing seminary when I was coming in. I was starting my first year, and I believe it was your last year there in Springfield, Missouri. And we even attended the same church, which I had an interesting thing. Shelly attended that church. I, had, I worked on Sunday. Uh, at another church, uh, a, a Baptist church, which I love Baptist folks. If you want to join with them, that's good too. Uh, but I worked with a, for a Baptist church when I was in seminary, and I was like the, uh, it was a big church. I was the Sunday custodian. You know, it was, a, it was great. Uh, you know, when you learn from the bottom up many times, and I had the opportunity to learn so much about church and ministry from, those, from that wonderful church. It was Second Baptist uh, there in Springfield, Missouri. And I just had a great time. But I remembered when we were in that van, I remembered him, and it was cool to think how many years ago uh, we were just students in a school, and somehow God has brought us uh, back together here in Southeast Asia. You know, God is good, and we thank him for that. And it's so good to be here in Bali. We were supposed to come last year. Uh, We had made it as far as Java. Uh, We got to uh, Jakarta, and it seems that we did our quarantine there. Anybody ever do quarantine during this thing? Well, we did our quarantine, uh, we, we quarantined, and then we were coming out of quarantine, and things seemed good, and about that time, if you remember, it must have been, it was July last year? Yeah, June, July last year, uh, COVID just blew up in, in Indonesia as a whole. I mean, infection rates went way up, and so by the time we landed, we were all supposed to come, our uh, mission organization, we were all supposed to come and meet here in Bali, but when we got to Jakarta, it just all kind of fell apart. Uh, and during that time, it was just more restrictions, more travel, more travel restrictions. And, and one thing we knew we needed to do was to fly off of Java uh, at some point. And so we thought it uh, prudent not to come to another island. So we ended up doing a split kind of a meeting thing. Some people were here in Bali. Some people uh, stayed on Java or stayed actually in uh, Jojakarta uh, for meetings. But I am so glad that now, uh, nearly a year later, uh, we're able to come back and able to worship together. And I do pray that all of these restrictions in the life that we've led these last two years are, are going away, and we'll be able to get back to normal life, normal work. Uh, it's rather obvious as we drive around Bali, and it's the same for me whenever I, uh, Shelly and I live in the Philippines. We live in Metro Manila. And when we came back and, and moved back into Metro Manila, we had a, a furlough in the middle of all this. For about a year we were gone, and we came back to Manila, and between my apartment in my office building, I pass about five or six closed businesses, uh, you know, during this thing. And I've noticed in my time around here, obviously, Bali has changed a lot. But we'll just pray that things open back up and people, once again, from all over the world will start to visit this beautiful place. And when they visit this beautiful place, I hope they meet you. I hope they meet people that know the Lord and you're able to share the love of the Lord. The entire world comes here. Uh, I meet people at times in the States, and you probably do too if you're from Bali, you tell them you're from Bali and they want to know where the country is located. They don't even know it's connected with Indonesia, uh, but they know, it's, they know Bali. It has that kind of reputation. And so I just pray the Lord's blessings upon you. And we just kind of privileged to be here today and to share the word of God. And I shouldn't introduce my lovely wife, Shelly. I should allow her to take her mask off. Thank you. 
We've been serving now in Southeast Asia for going on about 29 years. Uh, altogether, we started back when we were 12 years old, and uh, not really, but we, we started back a, a long time ago uh, in Thailand. We served there, and then we served in Laos for a number of years, and now we've been serving in the Philippines for about 12 years. Uh, and now we live in Metro Manila, but it's a joy to be here today and to share the Word of God. Well, when Pastor Don asked me, or we knew, asked me to speak this day, he also gave me the subject that you're focusing on for this month or for this series, uh, uh, that of service and being made to serve and to serve others and that we're blessed to be a blessing to others. And I watched your service, a message that he did two weeks ago. He suggested, you know, maybe you want to watch the service we just did to kick this off, so I did. And and I watched the service and it was a wonderful message. And I can remember as he was sharing near that time, he talked about how we were not created for ourselves, we were created for others. We as servants of God, we're not created to just bless ourselves, take care of ourselves. Uh, God doesn't bless us just for that purpose, but he blesses us so that we can work and bless other people. And in listening to his message and preparing for today and praying, I felt led to speak from the book of Luke today, Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. And it'll be a familiar story to a lot of you that are here, but I want to look at it today of this rich young ruler that comes and has a question for the master and see what we can learn from it today. If you have your Bibles this morning or your uh, telephone or however you read the Word of God, you can read along with me in Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 18, and I'm going to read from the New International Version this morning. It reads, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we have, all, we've, all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. God, I pray that as we look at, to, look at it today, God, that you would use it to impact our hearts, to impact our lives. Lord, I pray that through the ministry of your Holy Spirit and your word, God, that you would change us. Lord, draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, God, that all of us, God, will leave here changed and different than we were when we came in. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This takes place in a life and the ministry of Jesus where he is probably at the height of his public ministry. He's at a time when hundreds and thousands of people want to be around him. They're following him. He's teaching. He's performing miracles. He's, he's got people that, that he teaches for hours that stay close to him and are with him. And everywhere he goes, he's got this large group of people that are with him. Just before this, as Luke records it for us, Jesus 
just finishes, and you'll remember the story or may remember the story. There's a time when the crowds were around, and, and the people started to bring the children to Jesus. And the disciples tell him, they actually get onto the people and say, don't bother the Lord with these kids. You know, push these kids, and they want to push the kids away from, from the Lord. And Jesus says, no, let these little, little ones come to me. And he blesses them, and he spends time with them and prays with them. But in the midst of this, right after this, we have in this time of public, uh, of, of, of prominence and popularity that Jesus is in, we have this rich young ruler come to him. And he comes to him with a question. He approaches Jesus in a state of humility in the Gospel of Mark. It's recorded that the man ran to Christ and fell on his knees before he asked the question. And he talks to Jesus and he says to him, he says, good teacher, indicating respect that he had for Jesus. He comes as a student looking for answers from the master. We know this man is young. We know he's wealthy. We know he's a, a ruler or a magistrate. He may have been young, but he's actually old enough to start contemplating his future. And he's contemplating his eternity. And you know, when you're young, you don't typically do that. Uh, when I was in my teens, 20s, you know, the idea of retirement or the idea of passing away or what's going to happen in the, you know, how that, that is all going to take place in life, that doesn't occur to me. But as I've lost color in my hair, when Pastor Don knew me, I had brown hair 30 years ago. More hair. More hair and more. <laughs> sure, I had more of it. I had a big head of hair. Thank goodness I had a lot when I started because it has really gotten thinner as I've gotten older. But we all go to that place, and we all find that place where we start contemplating what's going to happen next. And this young ruler is doing that. He's reached a point in his life when he starts to ask that question, what's going to happen next? But he's also lived long enough with his wealth. He's lived long enough with his prominence, and he's lived long enough with the esteem that he has in his culture to know that something's missing. Something's lacking. Even with all that he has, the prominence that he has, the things that he has when he's young, even though he has all of that stuff, he knows something's lacking. Something's not quite right. It's led him to go from, from to, to look for and to follow after Jesus. He realized what many of us have already learned, that the things that the world has to offer will not satisfy us or bring us happiness. Over and over again in our world, we get, and this is a universal situation, we're told that if we just get enough stuff, we get the right amount of stuff, we get the right stuff, we get that car, we get that yacht that's being confiscated now if you're a Russian oligarch, get these big things, all this stuff that you accumulate and the world tells us in their and a deception that only comes from the enemy that says, if you get these things, if you have these things, you'll be happy. That these things somehow will bring joy. Somehow these things will make you complete and you'll live a happy life. They'll even do it in advertising if we'll just use that certain brand of toothpaste. You know how happy they are. How happy you'll be if you just use the right stuff. Get the right things in your life and everything will be okay. Well, this guy has all that. He's gathered wealth, he's, he's gathered prestige, he's gathered uh, importance in his community, but yet he knows something's lacking. It's not bringing him happiness. 
He knows something's missing in his life, and that draws him to Jesus. And so he asks that question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers him. He says, to obey the commandments. Jesus tells him, he says, well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. So Jesus states the law in a way not just for this rich young ruler to know it, but so that everyone that's around will hear that he supports the law. He's not contradicting the law with his teaching. He supports it, and Jesus actually fulfills the law that we carry and call our Old Testament. His life, his very being, what he did on this earth, fulfills that which God gave them. So he tells him, you fulfill those things, do those things. Jesus states them, letting them know that how important it is, but the man replies, he says, well, Jesus, I've been doing that all my life. I've kept these commandments all my life, even as a boy. Since I was a boy, I've done these things. I've done these things, but something is still laughing, lacking. Something's not, still not right. He wanted to know, I believe, when Jesus, he asked this question, he wanted to know, Lord, I've kept these commandments, but what can I do? What can I do? What would you have me do? What extra can I do? What can I do to find eternal peace? What can I do? In ancient Israel, they had boiled down the law in such a way that, and in Jesus' day, it, was, it, it came down to a thing of merit. The same as we have in most of our face, or all the face I've ever lived around in Southeast Asia. To where in Jesus' day, the law had been boiled down to, if you can just do enough of these good things, it'll offset the bad things you do in your life. It'll offset the bad things you do in your life. And if I can do enough good stuff, then I'll be okay. Where Cho and I lived first in Thailand, and then we lived in Laos, and Thailand is a predominantly Buddhist country, and it didn't take me long to realize that everyone there was, was trying to tamboon, they call it, make merit. They wanted to do enough good things. They made the, the right offerings. They would go to the temple. They would, would do things for at times for the poor or, or help someone, or they would every day as the monks would come by with their begging bowls. And as they would come by, the people would, would, would put food in, in those bowls, and the, the, the monks would then chant a, 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 a they, they would chant in, in, in uh, I forgot the language, uh, not Thai. Anyway, Sanskrit, ancient language, it'll cut me as soon as I finish. But anyway, they would chant in this language that the people hearing the blessing don't even understand, and the monks themselves don't understand. They just recite what came from ancient India in this faith of Buddhism. Doing all they can to make merit, doing all they can to try to do enough good so that they'll somehow secure their eternal life. Years ago, I was, we were chilling out, we were living and working in Laos, and, and I remember as we were there, Laos is a communist country, it's, it's an animistic Buddhist country, but the government system is a communist country, it was, it was not illegal in their constitution to, uh, to, to worship any faith you want to, but it was illegal to tell anybody else what your faith was. And so as you know, Christians, we tend to bump up against that a little bit, because our faith tells us we got to tell somebody what, what we believe, that's, that's the tenet of our faith. And so we, times run into different things, but Shelly and I were there, we lived there for nine years, and, 
And we were there, Laos was, when we were there, it was the poorest country in Asia. There was so much that needed to be done. They just had so very little of infrastructure and, and what our mission, and we were there actually under the name Assemblies of God. I think that's a, that just shows that when we first went in, there was no internet. They couldn't Google Assemblies of God. And so we were registered under the name Assemblies of God, and, and we were there as an NGO, non-governmental organization. We were doing all kinds of aid work. We were feeding programs. We built schools. We had medical care for kids. And one of the things we did, we had through the uh, through French missionaries that we were connected with and French workers that we were connected with and some Finnish workers we were connected with, we opened a development project up in Luang Prabang province. And this development project had gone for about a year, and this was going out to villages and far out places and, and seeing what they needed and trying to help them to get things that they needed to make their lives better and, and, and healthier. And I remember as we traveled around, or actually at the end of, it had gone for about a year, and at the end of a year, there was this big deal that would have to happen with every new project. At a year, you would have a survey by the government. And so you would travel to each one of those project sites, and we'd travel as a group, and it was all about doing a survey of what's happened in the project, and the government would decide whether you could continue or not. And so we traveled up. I came up from the capital of Yenchan, went up to Lumpurbang, and, and met with our team there. And I traveled with government officials from the capital, and we met more government officials there. And, and we traveled around for days, going to these villages, and, and we were together. You know, when you're in a group like that, you're staying in the same guest house, you're eating in the same restaurants, and... And many of the villages we went to were only accessible by the rivers, and so we spent time on boats traveling upstream and, and going to these places. And thankfully, there were good reports. You know, the village leaders were happy with what we had done. There was some clean water in some areas. We did sanitation, put toilets in, uh, in another village. And so we were doing things like that. And so I, we were with these government officials, you know, for, for three days by now, and we're eating all of our meals together. We're, to, we're being together a lot. And and I remember one night, after we been together about three days, we were eating in this far out of the way uh, spot. You know, there's no electricity or anything. We're eating by candles and gas lights and stuff. And we're sitting there, and the way Lao tables would be set up whenever you sit down to eat, uh, it, it really matters where you sit by your authority and who you are in the, in the, within the group. Uh, and not my culture, where I grew up, it's typically the guy at the head of the table is a big deal. That may be the way it is here in Indonesia, I don't know, but the, the, the head table is a big deal. So the guy at the head of the table is usually the most important person in the meeting. In Laos, it's switched. The most important people sit in the middle of the table. And so as you sit down, and you sit down organizationally, we did this, and I had done it long enough by this time, I knew where to sit. I knew where my seat was, and I was the uh, country coordinator for our NGO, and so I sat in the middle seat, and I was like the number one for our NGO, so I sat there. And then the number one Lao person there, government official, would sit across from me. And then his number two would sit next to me. Number three would sit beside him, and we would zigzag all the way down the table. And you'd already ahead of me. The guy at the very end of the table, he has no authority whatsoever. He's the guy that has to get up and fill everybody's tea glass, keep everything swept up, you know, pick up dishes, stuff like that. And so you do the same thing with our, our group, which was the Assemblies of God. I sat here. Uh, my number two sat here, and then three and four and five. And you worked your way down the table. But when you're doing that, it put me in a good spot to be able to hear and to talk to all the Lao government officials. And I remember as I was sitting there that night, and we had been traveling together long enough that they knew that there was something different about us. We didn't operate like normal NGOs do. And they were talking about that, and I heard them talking about it, so I started paying attention. They were talking, and one of them said, why do you think these guys are here? You know, they had a, actually a term in Laos for foreigners, and 
And then the term translated was throwaway metal, which meant if you couldn't be used in your home country, you came to work in Laos. And so they had a very low opinion of us, you know, typically. And that was kind of a slang thing. And, you know, those are things you learn and it kind of hurts your feelings a little bit. But, uh, you know, they, they just kind of fell on that because they, they knew they were poor. I mean, they, they knew they didn't have anything. I mean, they, they knew they were poor. But I think they'd been around us long enough to know that we might could have done something, we could have worked somewhere else. And so we were, they were talking and they were saying, you know, why do you think these guys are here? And, and why do you think that they do what they do? And they, they, they were batting it around. And, and one of them brought up, you know, we're the religious guys. And actually, they were a little bummed to travel with us because there were some things that we didn't do. Uh, we didn't drink. We didn't get drunk. Uh, and, and we don't smoke. I mean, that's, they always would throw that in. We just choose not to smoke. We, we didn't smoke. They said, well, these guys, you know, they don't, they don't drink and, and they don't smoke. And, and probably the one they really hated, and please forgive me if I offend anybody, uh, we don't run around on our wives. And so when they traveled with us, it wasn't a big party. And so they were saying, you know, they're religious guys. And, and one of them spoke up and he said, you know, he said, I bet I know why they're here. And he says, they're here to make merit. Because they're religious guys, they're here to make merit so that they fulfill some things within their faith. And, and I remember as I sat there, I thought, what an open door. If ever there's been an open door in a Lao conversation, this is it. And so I jumped in. I can speak Lao, so I, I jumped into their conversation, and I spoke up, and I said, no, that's not why we're here. You know, you're true, we're, we're, we're Christians, we, we follow Christ, but, but we're not here to make merit because as believers in Christ, we can't make merit. We can, and I, I said, that, and nobody can make that kind of merit. Nobody can. And so I did the best I can to explain that, that the Lord, in a sense, made all the merit for us by taking away our sins whenever he died on a cross and, and rose on the third day. And I, I thought I'd done an adequate job explaining that. And then one of them spoke up as I was coming to, he felt like I was taking a pause, and he said, yeah, he goes, uh, we call that making merit. And I went, oh, no. So then I, I said, well, I'm not going to let it go. So I went back into it. And I said, no, it's, it's not making merit. And so then I decided to start with original sin. I went all the way back to the book of Genesis and worked my way through as best as I could about sin and merit and merit making. And, and I think when they realized I wasn't going to let it go, and I talked about we were there because of the love of the Lord and because of the instruction he's given us to, to love others and, and to help other people and to show his love to, to, the, to, to people and to do what we can to help other people. And I, I did all that and out of obedience to the word of God and our, our scripture that we hold so dear. That's why we're here. And, and they finally realized I wasn't going to let it go. So somebody spoke up and they said, okay, 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 you're here because the Lord told you to come and because you love us, he loves us, and because of the Bible you carry. But they still were understanding the world because of their background as this whole merit system. The same as this rich young ruler was, and he was asking, you know, what can we do? What can we do in order to, to, to what can I do in order to have relief from this world? What can I do to ensure that I have eternal life? See, he knew down in his heart that there had to be more. There had to be more than this making merit. There had to be more than, than being chained to the law. There had to be more than, than just getting things. And there had to be more than prominence in society. There had to be more. There had to be more. So Jesus tells him, says, you've done all those things since you were a boy, but you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Wow. Tough word from Jesus. 
Sell everything you have. Sell everything you have. The rich young ruler must have said, I, but Lord, I have a lot. I've got a lot of stuff. Couldn't I observe the law in some new way? Couldn't I go do something? Couldn't I go dip myself in the Jordan River? Couldn't I go somewhere? Couldn't I build something? Couldn't I? Couldn't I? Couldn't I do something else, Lord? But Jesus tells them, sell all you have. Sell all you have. It's certainly not easy to do what Jesus said. It's not easy when you have a lot to let it go. But I've discovered in my life and in my work that when you have a little, it's not easy to let that go either. There's things that we have in our life, whether it be our wealth, whether it be our stuff, whatever it is, there are things at times we hold on to and keeps us from experiencing what God has for us. The man of great wealth, he was sad to hear what Jesus said he needed to do because he had great wealth. You see, it's hard for us in looking at all this to see why the rich young ruler did what he did, you see, because he faded away. He asked this question. He made his way to the front. He got his answer. But somehow, some way, he chose to hang on to those very things, those very things that he knew wouldn't satisfy him. The wealth, the prestige, the all of those things, he already knew it wasn't satisfying him. He knew that he didn't feel like he had, was sure of eternal life. He wasn't sure of his relationship with God, even though he was doing all those things. And even though he, 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 he knew that that wasn't going to answer his question, that wasn't going to answer the call, he still chose to hold on to those things. And I imagine as the crowd is there and all the people are there, he with some disappointment, some shame, perhaps a heavy heart, he fades away into the crowd. It's hard to understand why he didn't follow Christ. He had seen Jesus perform the miracles. He had heard his teaching. He called him good teacher. See, the problem that he had was that he focused on what he was letting go of instead of focusing, he focused on the sell everything. He didn't focus on the follow me. And somehow he missed that point of having treasures in heaven. You see, as, as Pastor Don said two weeks ago, to repeat something, he, he was saying in his preaching, what we do here on earth, it's not permanent. What we have here on earth is for a very limited period of time. The things we have here on earth are, are, are for a period of time, but we have the promise of an eternity with Christ if we let it go. If we let go of those things that bind us, we let go of those things that hold us, if we let go of those things that try to hinder us from following after God. This man couldn't get past to sell everything. He didn't hear the part about treasures in heaven, and he certainly didn't hear the instruction to follow me. We in our life, a lot of you may be here today and you may identify with this rich young ruler. You may have already realized in your life that the things that that, that, that are out there, the things that the world will promise you, the things that society will promise you, if you just do these things, you'll have it, you'll, it'll be good. You'll have happiness in your family. If you just acquire this stuff, you just do these things, you'll have all that. You may be like this rich young ruler and come to, have already come to the realization those things are not going to satisfy. Today, I would say to you, just as Jesus did, follow me. 
Let go of all of those things that bind. Let go of all those things that, that have you held, all those things that, that are binding you to this earth that are wanting to come in between you and your relationship with Jesus Christ and follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Jesus doesn't want to share his allegiance with anything. He's asking for our full devotion and following after him. Jesus gives him a reply. He looks at him and he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says, indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Entering the kingdom of God. Jesus uses this analogy of a camel going through the eye of a needle. The eye of a needle is something very small. And I've seen a few camels in my day at zoos. Uh, I don't think we have any wild running around in Indonesia, though you have great wildlife here, but I don't think you have camels. But camels are really big. Uh, for me, it's a very unattractive animal, if you have a pretty animal. It, it's an ugly animal. It's a big, big animal. And, of course, they used them a lot. They used them in dry areas to haul stuff around and work as work animals. And, and Jesus says, and he really says something that's rather impossible. He says it's, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And when we look at that, we realize the impossibility of that. I've heard some teachers, and I actually tried to find it because I, I thought, well, that, 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 that would be nice to, to, to preach it this way. And I, I've heard people talk about the, that actually in Jerusalem, there was a gate somewhere that was called the eye of the needle, and, and uh, you know, it was hard to get the camel through, but if you can get him bowed down enough, you could kind of pull a camel through the eye of a needle. But I tried to find that. I, I looked in all the trusted texts that I could and, and studying, and I couldn't find anywhere that there was ever a, a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. Jesus is basically telling them something that's impossible. And what he's telling them is, if you're hanging on to your stuff, if you're not following me, if you're just somehow going through motions or obeying the law, doing all of this, if you're not sold out following after me, you're not going to get through the eye of that needle. You're not going to get through. He's not saying that if you're wealthy, you can't be saved. Christ says it's, it's hard, but he certainly doesn't say, I think he, he mentions it this way and in this context just to bring up the fact that there's so much distraction that pulls people away from following after him. Because I discovered something, that wealth is a very relative thing depending on your situation and where you are. Where Shelly and I have lived in Southeast Asia, certainly in Laos, the poorest nation uh, poorest, one of the poorest nations in the world, especially when we were there, and, 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 and that there because we had a house, we had a car, we were wealthy people. In that society, we were wealthy people. Uh, when we travel back to the United States, when we're back in our home area, nobody looks at us and calls us wealthy. We're just not. In American standard, we are not wealthy people, and that's okay. God certainly takes care of us. I'm not even saying that to, to bring you loud on that, but just it's a relative thing. And what Jesus is saying here is if you've got things that are, that are hindering you and are keeping you down, you won't make it through the eye of that needle. The disciples hear this, and it's not good news for them. And they kind of say, well, Lord, you know, if this guy who has everything has all stuff, and we would like to have some of the stuff he has, we would like some of that stuff ourselves, and if you're telling us that he can't be saved, they say, well, Lord, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus answers them. 
He says, what is impossible with men is, impossible with, is possible with God. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We can't open that door. We can't get in no matter what work you do, no matter how good you do, whatever you're doing, no matter how much merit you make in this world, you can't do enough to have eternity with Christ. You can't earn it. The price has been paid by him. He says, what's impossible for you to do is possible for me to do. What's possible for you to do is possible for God to do. There is nothing that we can do within our own power to be saved. It's all in God's hands. All we can do is follow after him, and he'll take care of everything else. The disciples who have witnessed all of this, his inner circle, the guys who have left their jobs, left their families, they've left everything. You know, Jesus talks to the fishermen. He says, come follow me. They leave their nets. They leave their livelihood. They, they, they leave their, their security. They leave it and they follow after him. The tax, he's got tax collectors in his groups. He's got doctors in his group. He's got this inner circle of disciples that, that, that become his, his closest people. They hear this and they're not real pleased. They, it's obvious from the scripture that they when they're, even when they're with Christ, they don't really know the kingdom he's talking about. They expect him to set up a political kingdom. And somehow they're going to be magistrates. Somehow they're going to be leaders. They're going to throw off the, the yoke of the Romans that have been there in the land. And that, that's what they're, they're looking for. And so when Jesus tells this guy who has stuff that they're hoping that they'll get in their life, he says, you know, you've got to sell it all and come and follow me. And, and then he talks about this eye of the needle and, and, and who can be saved. And he says, well, you, know, you can't do it, but in, in me you can. You can almost hear the emotion in Peter's question. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, we have left all we have to follow you. You can almost feel it in Peter's words. Or you can feel it in his words, the, the heaviness of his heart. Say, Jesus We've left it all. We've left our, our families. We've left our jobs. We've left our security. We, 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 we've let go of all of those things, Lord, to follow after you. In a sense, he's saying, what about us, Lord? What about us? And Jesus answers him. He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. He's saying if we let go of it all, if we let go of the things of this world that have you bound, if you let go of the things that are keeping and hindering your walk with the Lord. You let go of those things. He says, I'm going to take care of all the rest. Not just in the future. It's not just a promise for when you die. And we have that. We have an eternal life promised to us because of what Jesus did on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Not just then, but now. He says, in this age and in the age to come, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. As you let go of those things that hold you, as you let go of those things that keep you from following after him, if you get past the sell everything in a sense, what he told the young man, the rich young ruler, and you get to the follow me, 
As you follow him, he takes care of all the rest. As you follow him, he takes care of all the rest. And if we had time today and, and we took testimonies, I bet we could fill several days of people who have left everything, who have following after Christ, testimonies of how the Lord took care of them, testimonies of how the Lord met those needs, testimonies of how he did what he said he was going to do, how he stayed true to his word, that he said, if you follow me, you'll be blessed, you'll be taken care of in this age and in the age to come. And if you're here today and you're carrying the burden, you identify with this rich young ruler, this one who came to Jesus and, and asked him that question, Lord, what can I do? Lord, what can I do to have eternal life? And, and Jesus tells him, you know, we'll sell everything, but then he says, you'll have treasure in heaven because of what you've given up here, but follow me. That same Jesus that said that 2,000 years ago to that young ruler, he's saying that today. Follow me. Follow me. I'll take care of everything else. Just follow after me. If you're here today and, and you feel bound by this world, you know that there's things that you're holding on to in this walk. There's things you're holding on to in your life. Let this be the day you let it go. Let this be the day that you, you go from the, 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 the sell everything in a sense. You give it all over to the Lord and you follow after him. And he will be true to his word. He'll be true to his word. True to his word. He'll take care of you in this age and the age to come. And we'll never know blessing like we know in following after Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your congregation, God, for this group of people, Lord, that you have gathered here today. And, and God, we just pray, Lord, for each one here. Lord, no doubt in a, in, in, in a Group this size, Lord, that are people here today, Lord, that have been struggling with their walk. Lord, things have gotten in the way. Things have, have gotten in the way of them, and they're following after you, Lord, and, and that they may be holding on to things, oh God, that they know, Lord, that, that they need to let go of. And Lord, I ask you, Lord, that even now as I pray, God, that, that your Holy Spirit, Father, would, would rest on them and rest on their heart. Show us, God, areas of our life that we need to let go of so that we can follow you. Show us, oh God, things that we need to let go of so that we can follow you, God, and serve unto you, God. And as we do that, Lord, as we let go of those things and we follow after you, God, we do so knowing in faith, Lord, that you will take care of everything. All we have to do is follow you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good word, bro. Good word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God.